Welcome to our Wednesday service. The Lord has been gracious to us. He has kept us. He has continued to keep and protect us. That's why we need to be grateful. Going back to our message, we were looking at the history. Uh, we were taking a small survey of the history of the temples. Now I was thinking as we talk about these natural temples that were built in Jerusalem. Uh, I would like us also to take a moment and look at that as a type of our natural body that the scripture says they are the temples of God. The Jews reverence the temple. They respected the temple. They prayed when Solomon was dedicating uh, the temple, the first temple. He prayed that wherever the Jews would be, wherever they would be scattered, whenever they would be in trouble, if they prayed first in Jerusalem, and of course Jerusalem, that's where the temple was, he asked that the Lord would be merciful and would answer their prayer. And uh, Jesus Christ, when he entered the temple one time, he had to chase away the money changers, those that were selling animals, birds, uh, those that were doing merchandise in the temple. Now the question is, do we respect uh, this temple, our body, uh, what uh, attachment? Uh, God had specifics when he was instructing how the tabernacle, the later the temple, would be built. And we as saints of God, we as children of God, we carelessly carry our bodies. Um, before we go further, let us look at uh, these scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and see what the Bible tells us about our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that you are the temple of God? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and is saying, in case you didn't know, in case you just look at the natural uh, building, natural temple, uh, Paul is, as it was, saying that is just a type of our body. He says, don't you know? Uh, know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Why was the temple built? Why did God command uh, the tabernacle to be erected? This is because that's the place where he could come <clears throat> and meet with his people. And even the temple, that's the place where the children of Israel could go and worship God, could go and make sacrifices, as it were, it was a place where they could come close to God. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth that your bodies, uh, your bodies, your natural bodies, are the temple, is the temple of God, because the Spirit of God dwells in there. He says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, if any man defile the temple of God. The Jews were strict. They didn't permit any defiling of the temple, bringing in things that one could defile the temple, doing activities that could defile the temple. They didn't permit that. Even Christ didn't permit that. Look at ourselves. The Bible, the scriptures said that our bodies are the temple of God. 
Do we protect it? That do we uh, uh, keep it pure? Do we make sure that nothing defiles it? And there are activities. There is a lifestyle that can defile this temple of God, which is our body, our natural body. There are things that you can do in your life and that, and that body is defiled, that temple is defiled. Yeah, so the natural temple was a type of the spiritual temple. <clears throat> he says, if any man, <clears throat> pardon me, defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is a holy the temple of God, whether it was the natural temple, it was holy. Nothing that could bring a defiling influence would be permitted. Some activities wouldn't be permitted to be done in that natural temple that was built in Jerusalem. And Paul is telling us that if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? We are the temple of God. And if we defile this temple, then God will judge us. As a child of God, has the Lord saved you? Have you been converted? Are you keeping your body holy? Or you are defiling your body with alcohol? You are defiling your body with cigarette? You are defiling your body, marijuana. You are defiling with your body with every kind of drug. And you are defiling your body with unlawful uh, uh, lifestyle, with fornication, with adultery. Uh, those are activities, things that defile this body that is meant to be a house of the Holy Ghost is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And many times, children of God, we have things that uh, we, we uh, eventually, if you are not keeping yourself alive, things that should never be mentioned after we have uh, uh, gotten saved, things that should never, never be mentioned in our lives. You find a child of God is addicted to drugs addicted to cigarette. They are saved. They confess to Jesus Christ as their savior, but they are addicted to alcohol. They can't do without alcohol. They, <clears throat> they, they take wine and they say, it's okay. I take it in the confines of my house. They start with one bottle, two bottles, until they become drunkards. And they pretend they are children of God. That is defiling the temple of God and the temple of God where the Holy Ghost dwells. So, as we talk about the natural temples, going through the history of the temples, let's know that that also typifies uh, our bodies, which also are the temple of God. God is careful, uh, is concerned the way we handle this body of ours. And especially young people, even us old people, the same sin is sin. It doesn't respect the age. But more so to the young people that want to explore, want to, uh, to live the life that pleases them, uh, it's wrong. Uh, to defile the temple of God as we are looking at these scriptures. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 also, verses 15 through uh, 19, verses 15 through 19, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ, our bodies, they are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? He said, God forbid. If our bodies are members of Christ, 
How can you make the members of Christ be one with the hallowed? Paul is saying, you Corinthians, don't you know that is wrong? And it's not only the Corinthians. Uh, whatsoever things were written for our time, they were written for our learning. That we through patience and the comfort of scriptures we might have hope. What was true then, it is true today. Don't we know, we can even say, don't we know that our bodies are members of Christ? Shall we take then the members of Christ <clears throat> and make them uh, a members of an hallowed? Uh, God forbid, sexual sin is wrong. Child of God, if you are involved, if you are addicted to sexual sin, it's a time you hit the altar. It's a time you repented. It's a time you knelt down and prayed God to deliver you. You need to be delivered. Uh, your body, the members of your body are the members of Christ. And you cannot join uh, the members of Christ to run a hollow. It's wrong. Uh, that shouldn't be done, whether it is with the old people or the middle-aged, whatever, young people. Sin is a sin, and it's no respect, uh, respect of any age. Sexual sin is wrong. It's an abomination. It's not right. It must be repented of. You cannot be in the first resurrection when you are addicted to sexual sin. Forget the Lord cannot take you. You are just, just because you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and then you say you continue in sexual sin, uh, that will not take you to, uh, to the first resurrection. Uh, you will be, be shocked uh, that you are going to sleep for 1,000 years uh, because you were never delivered. You practiced sexual sin. You defiled the temple of God. And so, it's better you call upon God, the mercies of God. <clears throat> God, have mercy on us. Whether it's a preacher, sin doesn't respect <clears throat> preachers. Even if preachers are involved in sexual sin, and it's wrong, it's sin. It is sin. It's never. You handle the word of God, then you are involved in that sin. It's not permitted. God forbid, the scripture says. And so he said, <clears throat> God forbid. And uh, in uh, chapter 6 again, uh, I mean, continuing, what? Know ye not that that which is joined to unhallowed is one body? When you join yourself with a hallowed, you are one body. For two, says he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. That's what we are meant to be joined unto the Lord. Not unto an harlot. Flee fornication. Run away. The Bible is very clear. Whether you are a preacher, whether you are just a saint, child of God, whatever ministry, whatever gift that you have, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Every sin that man doeth is without the body. Theft, fighting, all these other sins. Backbiting. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When you get involved in a sexual sin, that involves this body, which is the temple of God. You are defiling the temple of God. Sexual sin involves the body, this natural body, this body that we have. Sexual sin defiles the body. Then he goes on in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? The Holy Ghost that we received, this housing, this body, it houses the Holy Ghost. It is the house of the Holy Ghost. And you can't join your body, you shouldn't join your body with a harlot. 
you shouldn't commit <clears throat> sexual sin um, which you have of God and you are not your own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, let's glorify God in our body and in your spirit which are God's. This is, belongs to God and we shouldn't defile it. We shouldn't uh, make it to sin. And so, as we cover this, let's remember that we also <clears throat> have this body which could be, which is a type of the temple. Don't forget, let's be serious with God. Do we want to be in the first resurrection? Do we want to be in the kingdom of God? Then we should keep our body holy. Let's not defile our body. Pray God to deliver you. Pray, uh, reach out to God. Counsel with your pastor in a case you are addicted to that sexual sin. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Go to your pastor and say, pray with me. I want to be delivered from this sin. I want to be delivered. If you're a preacher, go to a fellow preacher. Confide in them and pray. They will pray for you. They will pray with you. It's wrong. You're not going to be part of the first resurrection when you as a preacher, when you as a man of God are involved in a sexual sin. Pray. Reach out to God. Ask God. God can forgive. God can deliver. He is a loving God. He can deliver. He delivered us the first time. And it's, he continues to deliver us. We make mistakes. We go astray. But when we realize, when we realize that we have sin, you cannot be delivered until you accept that I have this sin. I have this mistake. I have this weakness. You will never be delivered. The first step in <clears throat> towards deliverance is for you to accept that I have this weakness, I have this sin, I need help, I need God, I need to reach out, I need to touch God and God to deliver me, and God is willing. Knock and the door shall be opened. Uh, and you will not be disappointed when you call on God. He will deliver you. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. So, God help every one of us. It's a terrible sin because it defiles the temple of God. As we deal briefly on the history of temples, know that we are the temple of God. In, the, in Matthew here, Matthew 21, Matthew 21, Christ meets these money changers. He meets them. Matthew 21 and verses um, 12 to 13. And Jesus went into the temple of God. The temple of God. That was a natural temple. This called the temple of God. That's where children of Israel were to meet God. They were to commune with God. They were to offer sacrifices. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them, uh, cast out all them that sold and uh, bought in the temple. And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Christ was very particular. Went into the natural temple and found people doing business. Found people involved in activities that defiled the holy place. That defiled that natural temple. And he didn't just leave. He didn't just say, well done. Uh, he didn't say, hello, how are you doing? Uh, you are doing quite a good, a good work. No. He chased them. 
he got a call, hold of a cord and beat some because they were defiling the temple of God. So, as we talk about the temple, let's remember that our bodies are the temple of God and we shouldn't defile our temple. We have found out that sexual sin defiles the temple of God. That this temple that we have, it defiles. Every other sin is done without the body. But the sexual sin defiles the body, which is the temple of God, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So let's continue in our brief history of temples, the natural temples that were built in Israel. <clears throat> and we saw last Sunday that uh, Solomon bought, I mean built, the temple. And that temple that Solomon uh, built was destroyed. The Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and they destroyed that temple. The temple remained destroyed for exactly 70 years. It remained destroyed, it remained in that ugly shape for exactly 70 years. Then we went on to see that it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel uh, in 516 BC. And we looked at that in Ezra chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And we also, uh, it is, this is also seen uh, also in Ezra, we are not going to read this is long. In Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 10, and also verse 15. Uh, the center column reference date in Ezra chapter 6 is 516 B.C. This period of exactly 70 years fulfilled the prophecy. The period of 70 years fulfilled uh, prophecy. And um, let's turn to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. Um, that period of 70 years fulfilled prophecy. Uh, Jeremiah 25 and verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now we see history agreeing with the Bible. What the Bible said was fulfilled. Wouldn't this give us confidence in the scriptures that whatever God has said comes to pass? God is not man that he should lie, neither son of man that he should repent. What God has said, it comes to pass. It's not man's words, it's God's words. Exactly this period of 70 years were fulfilled. It, it was a prophecy, and this prophecy was fulfilled. So God's prophecies will be fulfilled precisely. Whatever the prophets said, whatever God led for the prophets to prophesy, it will be fulfilled. It will come to pass. We can rest on that. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to question whatever the prophets said, it will come to pass. If the 70 years that were prophesied by Jeremiah were fulfilled, then every other prophecy and other, that, like we saw, <clears throat> how 
many prophecies have been fulfilled. And here again in Jeremiah 29, and uh, Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, <coughs> pardon me, at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So, enemies never destroyed Zerubbabel's second temple. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple and the enemies never destroyed Zerubbabel's temple. It stood for nearly 500 years. Can you imagine that? The temple that Zerubbabel built stood nearly for 500 years till the time that held the great ruled Palestine. Until the time that Herod the Great ruled Palestine. <clears throat> Herod remodeled the temple extensively. He remodeled it so much that it was almost new construction. This is very interesting. Herod remodeled the temple extensively so much that it was almost new construction. Then that makes the Zerubbabel Herod temple is known as the second temple. The Zerubbabel Herod temple because all these two gentlemen worked on the same temple. Zerubbabel and the Herod. So the Zerubbabel Herod temple is known as the second temple. Herod began his remodeling in 20 BC. We are given right there the, tape, the date where Herod uh, began to remodel the temple. The extensive renovation was not completed until 64 AD. This extensive renovation was not completed until 64 AD. By the time Christ began his ministry in 26 AD, the bulk of the work had been done. This is very interesting. By the time Christ began his ministry in 26 AD, the bulk of the work had been done. 46 years of labor had been put into the project. 46 years. That is quite a time, it's a long time, 46 years, that's quite a long, long time. And we can look at John chapter 2, the book of John chapter 2, the temple, 46 years. That's why uh, the Jews were, uh, came into conflict with Jesus. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, he was referring to his body, but they thought Jesus was referring to their natural uh, body, I mean to their natural temple. He says this temple took us 46 years, and you say you can destroy it, and when three days it will be built, he so said, you must be crazy. You must be mad. I'm just paraphrasing. In John chapter 2 and verse uh, 20, um, let's begin from um, 
verse 17. And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. They thought he was referring to the natural temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. My God. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rare, rare it up in three days? Says, what are you talking about? This temple that you are looking at took 46 years. And you say, we destroyed this temple and within three days you raise it up? Say, you must be crazy. You must be mad. So, uh, they, were, they were really mad at him. So, Herod wanted a greatly enlarged temple with an enormous courtyard. He really wanted the temple enlarged with a very big courtyard, with an enormous courtyard. However, the pinnacle of Mount Moriah was too small to accommodate Herod's desired temple. The pinnacle of Mount Moriah was too small to accommodate Herod's vision of the temple. He couldn't do that. So he solved this problem by having engineers build retaining 150 feet high a retaining wall 150 feet high from bedrock west of the temple and from slopes of the Kidron Valley on the east. The only remaining portion of Herod's temple is the western retaining wall known now as the western wall or the wailing wall. And after, re after the retaining walls were built thousands of tons of backfill were hold, were hold in a slow at, uh, were hold in a slow and a difficult task. That was a slow and difficult task. You can see how people treasured the temple. As we listen to this, see the interest people took into the temple. They wanted it to be magnificent. <clears throat> they wanted it to be very nice. And uh, they did a lot of labor was invested in either remodeling, building, everywhere it took a lot of labor. Eventually, this produced a flat area containing more, more than 40 acres. Can you imagine 40 acres, more than 40 acres? So, Herod then built a temple 1,500 feet long, 1,500 feet long, Look at that, 1,500 feet long and 900 feet wide. The Jews hated Herod, but he was sensitive to their religion. 
he trained thousands of priests and Levites and stonemasons and laborers to build the most sacred areas of the temple. He remained very sensitive, very careful about the Jewish religion. He, he was considerate. He took into consideration. That's why he trained thousands of priests and Levites, Levites as stonemasons and laborers to build the most sacred, the most holy uh, areas of the temple. The Jews were proud of the temple Herod built for them. They were proud of the temple. They were happy. So large, thick walls are enclosed. Um, enclosed this 40-acre area. Large, thick walls enclosed this 40-acre area. Can imagine that. Immediately inside was a vast courtyard known as the court of the Gentiles. Immediately inside was a vast courtyard known as the court of the Gentiles. And the Paul was almost killed because the Jews thought he brought a Gentile beyond the courtyard, beyond this courtyard, into areas reserved for Jews. That was, there were areas that were exclusively for Jews. No Gentile was permitted. And when Paul went into the temple with a Gentile, uh, that was the place for the Gentiles. There were places that the Gentiles couldn't reach. Uh, and they thought Paul had disobeyed, had disregarded this norm. In Acts chapter 21, um, Acts 21, let's look at this, 21, verses 28 and 29. Probably, let's start from 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of, the days of purification, and that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Paul was following the law. He was keeping the law. He didn't violate even the rules of the temple, so-called. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And Father brought Greeks also into the temple and has polluted this holy place. My God. They thought Paul had polluted the temple. In verse 29, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. You see how devoted, how strict they were in Keeping the laws, the norms of the temple, areas for Gentiles was, for, was to be strictly be for Gentiles, areas for Jews. No Gentile would cross over to 
the Jewish area out where the Jews would be. That's why we needed to appreciate God that the Lord broke down the middle wall of partition that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Thank God for Jesus that he delivered us, that we who were not a people are now the people of God. That's why we should value our salvation. We should take our salvation as something wonderful, something precious, and not play with it. Because we were meant, we, we, had, we were separated from God's people. We were looked at as strangers. And thank God for his love for us. So, there were money changers and animal sellers in this area. Jesus, Jesus drove them out like we saw in Matthew 21. We have already uh, read that. Matthew 21, he drove them out when he saw the money changers and all those that sold doves. There were large portions in the outer walls where people gathered together to hear different teachers. Large, large, large portions in the outer walls where people gathered together to hear different teachers. Uh, one portico was called Solomon's porch. A portico is a roof supported by columns. It has a roof, then there are columns supporting. That is a portico. So one portico was called Solomon's porch. It is associated with much New Testament history. If we can look at it here in John chapter 10, John chapter 10 and verse 23. Uh, Matthew 10 and verse 23. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch. One portico was called Solomon's porch. And John chapter 10 and verse 23 confirms that. Solomon's porch was near the gate in this outer wall called the beautiful gate. If you remember, the beautiful gate is in the book of uh, Acts. Acts, where this man that sat, that was begging. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful beautiful gate to ask for arms of them that entered into the temple so Solomon's porch was near the gate in this outer wall called Beautiful Gate. Then in verse 11 also, Acts chapter 3 verse 11, and as the lame man which was, which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wandering. So that it proves that Solomon's porch was near 
a beautiful gate according to these scriptures. So the early church initially operated from Solomon's porch. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and uh, verse uh, 12. And, uh, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's why we say that the early church in initially operated from Solomon's porch. At least part of this eternal war was two stories high. Part of this eternal wall was two stories high. There were upper rooms above the porches. And the upper room of Acts chapter 2, uh, remember when the disciples were waiting for the Holy Ghost, they were told to wait until they were endued with the power from on high. They were in the upper room, Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The upper room of Acts 2 verse 1 was likely the temple perhaps directly above Solomon's porch. Um, in Luke 24, this some history here that we are dealing with it here. Uh, Luke 24, 53, verse 53. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. The upper room was likely in the temple. That's why we say, we see here in the book of Luke, and they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. It's more likely that the upper room was probably directly above Solomon's porch. Since they were continually in the temple, they probably... They were probably in one of its upper rooms when God poured out the Holy Ghost. When God sent his spirit, touched every one of them, these disciples were probably in one of its upper rooms when God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. Inside the court of the Gentiles was a second wall. Here we see a couple of walls. Inside the court of the Gentiles was a second wall which enclosed the court of women. It's hard to visualize unless you really see it, but it's giving us good history. So inside the court of the Gentiles was a second wall which uh, enclosed the court of women. Only Jews could enter this inner courtyard. What a separation. I tell you this was bad. Segregation. Gentiles were segregated. We should never forget to be grateful to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we that were segregated, we were not considered a people. We were not called the children of God. We were far from God. Our gods were idols. And see how the Father loved us. That's why when we don't love God, we really do wrong. When we don't sacrifice for God, as we are going through that, see the segregation. Gentiles segregated. They are in one place. They Jews closer to God. They are in another place. We were segregated. So this place, only Jews <coughs> could enter <coughs> this inner courtyard. It was called the court of women because Jewish women, not even Gentile women, Jewish women were allowed in this area but could not go further into the inner structure. Also, the Jewish women could not <clears throat> go beyond a certain point. This was the area of the temple where offerings were received. So that area was the place where offerings were received. Let's look at Luke 24, 21, sorry. Luke 21 and uh, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. But she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. So, this is just to confirm that this was an area of the temple where offerings were made, as Luke uh, spells that out. Only Jewish men were allowed in this area um, before that. In the court of women, up a stairway and through Nicanor's gate was the court of Israel. We have this court of Israel where only Jewish men were allowed in this area. These male worshippers uh, handed their sacrifices over to the priests the male worshippers handed their sacrifices over to the priest. And then the priest offered the sacrifices to the Lord. In this area was the brazen or earthen altar for sacrifice and the labor for, a cleansing, for cleansing. If we can look at Exodus 40, Exodus chapter 40, let's look at it, Exodus 40 verses 6 and 7. And thou shalt set, thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Verse 7, And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation 
and the altar and shall put water therein. So, these priests functioned in an area as the court of priests or the holy place. Like we read in Exodus 40, just to comment on that before we continue, this earthen altar for sacrifice and the labor for cleansing, uh, people could uh, wash themselves, they could cleanse their feet, they could wash their feet, uh, clean, the, clean, clean themselves up. These priests function in an area known as the court of priests or the holy place. It was a golden altar of incense, golden candlesticks in the holy place, that is a golden altar of incense, golden candlesticks, and a table of showbread. That is in Exodus 40, verses uh, 4 and 5. Thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. Thou shalt bring in the candlestick and the light and the lamps thereof. Thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. Also here in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 as we close, Hebrews 9, 2, for there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread which is called the sanctuary. Very interesting history and yet has a lot of meaning to us. Looking at this history of temples like I've said type of our bodies, we should keep them holy. There was a lot of importance attached to the natural temple. And what we can pick from this is that we should attach much reverence, importance. We should keep our bodies holy, keep it clean, and we shouldn't defile our bodies. This has been interesting, a little history. It has a lot to teach us, and I pray that we shall learn from all that. Thank you for listening. God bless you.